Hello and welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. My name is Sarah. I'm MJ and uh, like Sarah said, this is our third episode so we can go ahead and get right into it. We are five minutes into uh, Jaws right now and so um, this this definitely constitutes the thereabouts uh, section of it. So if you're following <laughs> along at home, we are watching from five minutes and eight seconds. So right when the the night of Chrissy's death fades into the morning um, on Amity Island uh, until seven seventeen, which is right when Brody leaves uh, to find Chrissy's body. So um, that's the that's the timestamp. If you're playing along at home, if you watch more than that, I get it. It's Jaws. How can you not? <laughs> Um, but so what happens in the scene is, uh, it's morning on Amity Island. Brody wakes up, has sort of early morning kind of pillow talk with his wife, um, and back and forth banter. His son comes in, um, his oldest son comes in from playing with a cut on his hand and then Brody's police phone rings and he, uh, answers the call and little does he know, uh, that this will be a, a life altering call. For him, this kicks off a, a very dramatic series of events in his life, and we know that is happening, but he doesn't. Yeah, this I this is something that I think this film does so well right from the start is alternating between tension moments of lightness or comedic moments, and then you know doing the whole cycle again. And we've just spoken about one of the most dramatic moments I think in the whole film, which is the um, attack on Chrissy. And then you see the, like we've spoken about, the, the night like then fade into the morning. And I love that shot because the camera doesn't really move. I think it's a different point in the sea just because, you know, the sea is huge. Um, yeah. But yeah, it I like that it kind of immediately takes you to the next morning, but still keeps that kind of continuity of seeing the sea that we saw, the attack the night before. And there's... I don't know if it's just me, but the sea looks incredibly calm, uh, like even calmer than mm -hmm. normal. It's like a straight line almost between like sea and sky. So it looks really peaceful, really tranquil. And I think that this is something that the early scenes in Jaws do as well, which is established that this place, um, Amity, is quite idyllic, really. And the scenery is very beautiful and it's this small town with small town problems and this shark has come in or is you know about to make even more of an impact and disrupt that kind of peaceful life and i think in terms of establishing the relationship between brody and ellen uh, this scene is very effective as well you got the sense that they have a good relationship like the way they the way they back and forth with each other yeah, I know, you know, the, the, the female characters in Jaws don't show up a lot, right? It's mm -hmm. sort of focused on the, the three central men in the movie, Brody and Hooper and Quint. But I think they have a lot of the most powerful stuff in the movie, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Chrissy, obviously the first victim. Um, and then Ellen, you know, I think this scene sets up something we see way later in the movie, right before he sets out for for c with with quentin hooper um and obviously alex kittner's mother um sort of the three major female 
uh, players in the in the film. But I think the things that they do, you know, get to do in the movie are really important to who specifically who Brody is as a character because he's sort of our central protagonist in the movie. And I think without them, we don't really get the full picture of who Brody is. Mm. Yeah, we, like we we find out from this scene obviously that that he's a family man and we learn subtly we learn quite a bit about how they came to be where they are now as well and also what time of year it is so this scene does a great job of establishing a lot of the key things that that play into the film later as she said and we find out that um they move to the island in the fall and it's now summer uh, because Brody says you know I think the first line of the film almost is like is um or from Brody at least, is you know, how comes the sun didn't used to shine in here or something like yeah. that. So clearly, you know, they've just they've just woken up, the morning sun is beating down and and causing the room to to be hot. And um so you know, the I don't know how many months that would be, you know, less than a year anyway has passed since they I guess moved or bought the house yeah. um and now to where they are now. So we immediately get that sense of outsiders coming in and that is an incredibly important theme and something that is especially mentioned a lot in I think the first the first half hour 45 minutes or so of the film um it gets brought up a lot about this being an islander we get it mentioned again in the scene that we'll we'll look at next week um and I don't know if the, this doesn't really seem to be a thing in the UK, but is this, uh, and I guess something that is more well well known in the US, this sense of a real kinship to to where you're from, or is it, you know, strictly like an islander thing? I don't know if you know the answer to that question, but <laughs> um, it's very region dependent. I think in the New yeah. England area where the film takes place, very much so, just because those were the first colonies, so they have mm. they have the most history of like into what modern America is. I'm out in California. We don't super duper have that um, mm. a whole lot, uh, especially because there's in Southern California, you have a ton of transplants, right? People who have moved from other other parts of the country to Southern California, Los Angeles, San Diego area. There's a lot of of that in, in sort of old money, kind of Hamptonsy, New England, East Coast um, ways of thinking. And I also think it's uh, it's important to note that that Ellen is an islander. She is, yeah. you know, original. So she's bringing the one, she's bringing the outsider in herself. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Because did they? I mean, is it established that Brody is from New York, or that's where they were living originally? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. he has that. Yeah, he has that line about. Uh, the kids are playing in the yard and she says, and you know, here you say in Amity, you say yard. Mm. The kids are playing in the yard, not <laughs> from the car. And one thing I noticed watching this is that before, before Brody says his line about how come the sun didn't use to shine in here, you can mm. hear the radio of their alarm clock going. Yes. Yeah. And the announcer on the radio says something about like practice for the boating season has happened in the yard. Um, ah, and so okay. you hear that word before it even comes in. You hear that word in the background just before, uh, with that, that accent in it, just before they have this interaction about mm. the, the, how he says it and how it makes him not fit in. So it's very subtle. I've never noticed that in this movie before. 
yeah. that, 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 that's what happens. And so, um, it was really interesting to me because I was like, oh, that sets the, the, the tone right there that he is the outsider. Mm, yeah see this is the benefit of watching with uh good headphones because you really (laughs) you really pick up on these small bits of dialogue like i'm not sure i've ever noticed that radio announcement before and i always watch films with subtitles so i think i've seen it come up but i've not really paid much attention to what they're saying um because you know when you're not specifically looking out for these things i don't think you necessarily pick up on it but yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting observation that they that that is a word or a line that they say on the radio and then it kind of is you know immediately comes up in conversation again with uh brody obviously trying to you know he mimics the accent a little bit but i think also he's just desperately trying to feel like this make this more of his home um, I suppose obviously yeah Ellen is is I don't know whether she is specifically from here but she is uh, she is an islander like you say so yeah so Brody is obviously trying to make a home for himself and his family where where they are and the the idea of him being an outsider I think is one of the most important things in the film in terms of how other characters act towards him so there is this general distrust i think that he knows what he's talking about obviously we see him later come up against a lot of uh brick walls one very specific brick wall in larry vaughan um Mm -hmm. but also just how the other townspeople react towards him as well um and i we'll get to it a, a bit later but the scene when they're on the beach and ellen is talking to a couple um and i think they say to her like you know if you weren't if you weren't born here you'll never be an islander so yeah it is that very kind of um us and them sort of thing and i think that's the reason why Brody, at so many key points in this really struggles to explain the gravity of the situation and the threat because these people are like we've lived here our whole lives we know this island we know it's peaceful we've never had a shark here and this kind of new york cop is coming in and throwing his weight around and saying that we need to do this and we need to clothe the beaches and they are not having it yeah and i think that goes a long way he's such a good audience surrogate too Mm. um because we know exactly what Brody knows, basically. Uh, we know even deeper than what Brody knows. Uh, we've seen this shark in action. We know how much of a threat this thing is if it's allowed to run rampant across mm. Amity during the holiday. And so it makes you really connect with him and feel with feel kind of what he's feeling trying to convince these people. And, you know, you feel his frustration. Also, Roy Scheider is just the coolest, just... Yeah. <laughs> the best type of, you know, arch- archetypal film, every man mm. trying to do the right thing um, type of character and the way he exudes that. This is, I mean, I talk about this all the time with 70s movies in general. I love when like, I love 70s movies and the the kind of aesthetic of them because like, they they just kind of look like people. You know, mm, like, yeah, there weren't a lot of, you know, d- like Dwayne Johnson's or even like Tom Cruise's. Uh, really mm-hmm. dominating the the box office. I mean, you had guys like Billy Crystal and Gene Hackman and 
you know, Roy Scheider headlining movies and they just look like any person you would see on the street. Mm. Yeah. I think that there is that, yeah, that, that sense of it not being the, he's not the kind of classically handsome leading man. He just plays Mm -hmm. that, he plays that every man very well. And it's important for the audience to immediately feel like they can relate to this character. And I think it's it's something that this scene establishes really well is you know that he see that he seems like a nice guy so we are we are instantly on his side and also we get this this sort of feeling of you know he not that he doesn't belong here but that he's he's new to all this so we we feel for him and you know like we said that's that's before he even really finds out about the shark or what's going to happen. This is very much the calm before the <laughs> the calm before the storm because yeah. when he wakes up and is is talking to Ellen, he is blissfully unaware that anything untoward is happening. And so we we like him immediately, and I think the the back and forth between him and Ellen as well just makes them very likable characters. And there's there's moral gray area i think to lots of other characters that that we meet later on um particularly thinking of quince um mm-hmm. where he is both incredibly likable but also kind of a jerk um but yeah. <laughs> but brody is he is the everyman and we like him and that's so important because he is the person leading this film and even though I think it's hard out of the main three to pick out who would be classed as lead in Academy Rules. Um, right. But th- how it, it, the film sets itself up with being introduced to him first, I think it's fairly clear that he is he's our leading man. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do like, I like that whole scene because you get a really good sense of who he is as a person. He's kind of funny with his family. You know, he's just mm-hmm. kind of a chill, you know, trying to. and And so you also get the information of, New York and everyone knows New York in the 70s rampant with crime so you get the sense of immediately already that that he came to Amity basically to retire mm-hmm. um and still yeah. just like have something to do and he does that because it's very obvious he's concerned with the safety of others because you see his son come in with the the cut on his hand and his immediate thing isn't, hey, are you okay? It's, hey, you were playing on that damn swing set again. Like, I told you that was dangerous. And it's yeah. not, but it's not coming from a sense of being mad at him necessarily. It's just like, I want you to be safe. You are my mm. child. Yeah, it's such, it's such a dad as well. He's like, I told you not to play on those swing sets. I haven't fixed them yet or I haven't. <laughs> it's like, oh, we, yeah. we know what kind of guy he is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I love that scene because it it kind of is like there's blood in the water now, you know, Um, it kind of mirrors it's it it kind of symbolizes Chrissy, Mm. right? Of one of the first things we see from uh, another kind of innocent character in this whole ordeal is blood. And it kind of signifies signifies like, hey, this is this is a significant element for the rest of the film. and, And the the kills get bloodier and bloodier as the movie goes on. Like the more the shark is allowed to kill, the more blood we see. Mm, yeah, this is like this is the first time that we see blood, and it is just a little cut on his hand. But 
I mean, it's not it's not a paper cut. It's like a fairly, you know, the blood is kind of like dripping down his hand. It's a fairly, yeah. you know, sizable cut. But yeah, you're right. This is this is the first the first hint that there are perhaps bloodier things to come, and it's like, great foreshadowing as well. And I I think another thing that this this moment does really well. Um, so Ellen is is at this point kind of fussing over Michael in the background and running his hand under underwater and patching him up and whilst that is happening uh brody takes a call um side note i love the bit where he picks up the wrong phone so he clearly (laughs) he has his like they have like their personal phone or their family phone and then the police phone and he picks up one and he just and it isn't the right one and he just does this great subtle double take that makes me laugh every time um so then he picks up the the phone that is ringing and we can make out some bits of what he is saying and some bits of what Ellen and Michael are saying in the background. And I watched this scene three or four times in preparation for this uh, with my good headphones on and the subtitles as well. And there are still moments of each conversation that you can't hear or that aren't subtitled. Um, And that is very deliberate because something that comes up frequently, um, particularly in the beginning, is the distractions trying to mask the real problem or the real threat. Um, so we see this uh, in the next couple of scenes where it seems every single person in the town has got a problem that is more important than Brody trying to figure out who killed this who killed this girl, what you know, is it a shark and figure out all of that stuff because you have someone who is complaining about the kids karate chopping their fence, <laughs> the fence um yeah. <laughs> someone who wants a parking space outside of their house or something you know it, all of these kind of like small town problems and you just see Brody get increasingly more frustrated with that which is you know funny to us as the audience because we know we have i say seen but you know we are aware of the threat because we've seen what's happened to Chrissy um but yeah just just that that phone call background conversation thing with Ellen and Michael is just very subtly bringing in that theme of something is happening something important the the call he is taking is obviously important they're talking about he talks about some you know do they just wash up on the beach or he says something like that um mm. and in the background we're also sort of hearing Ellen be you know you know fussing over Michael and and sorting him out um yeah i i I like how that is how that is brought in, and how obviously we then see that uh, play out over the next few scenes as well. Yeah. Um, also, hey, uh, A twenty four stands. The Safety <laughs> brothers weren't the first people to do that overlapping dialogue thing. So <laughs> take your uncut gems and pay respects. Yeah, Jaws um, did it first. <laughs> yeah, and it does bring it it, it does bring back out that same kind of stressful uh, response, at least in me. That, mm. that, you know, a lot of people had to uncut gems where it was a lot of talking um, and you're trying to like, you're like, well, I know what happened. Like, let me find out what happened and ha- let me find out that, that Brody's finding out now, please. Mm. And so it, it it's this little bit of tension that comes in to just frustrate us enough, right? Mm. Like Brody doesn't know that the, to Brody, this is Saturday morning or whatever. Mm. And so um, he is kind of, you know, thrown by the fact that there's a body, but he's also a New York cop. So he's used to dealing with that. Mm. um it's just kind of catching him off guard that this is happening in amity but 
for us, it's like, no, this is so important to you, especially now that we've seen the movie, you know, uh, dozens of times over over the the years it's been out. But it it does bring in that sort of stress response for me in that in that overlapping dialogue of like, I want to I want to know what he's saying, but I also want to know what they're talking about. Is it important? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't make it easy. I think even if you <laughs> watch it, you know, you know, rewind it and kind of be like, okay, this time I'm going to listen to Ellen and, and Michael, and then the next time you rewind it again, you're like, and this time I'm going to listen to Brody. You get to a point, but then you start to just because that's how, you know, the brain works. It's picking up other things that are being said, and it's really hard to tune one out and isolate one just so you can really pick up on on what's being said but i i think it feels more real and authentic as well because you know obviously films aren't incredibly realistic all of the time but often when you know a a character takes a phone call or something in a restaurant let's just say and all you can hear is that character talking and the general kind of like hubbub behind them or in the restaurant or wherever dies down to the to the level where you can clearly hear the the conversation now that's not what happens in real life and that isn't what happens in this scene you know Brody is is taken an important call but it it doesn't the levels don't drown out what is happening in the background because that is just everyday life he probably has to deal with this all the you know this sort of thing all the time that you know work interrupting his you know nice relaxed saturday morning or or whatever it is and you you're not gonna be sort of like shut up i'm trying to take this call because obviously uh michael is hurt so you know their parents they want to make sure their son is all right as well and i just think it, it paints a very authentic picture of what an average day looks like for this family yeah and then as the scene kind of kind of winds down here and he, he gets ready to go to work um, and and Michael's taken care of. Brody goes out the door, and I think we get another great bit of foreshadowing here mm. because Ellen, we see the swing set that just hurt Michael, yeah. and their <laughs> other son is still playing on it, and then Ellen goes and joins him on this rickety ass swing set <laughs> that looks like the most dangerous thing possible. It almost looks like it was that swing set was just on set, and they were like, <laughs> "We're gonna use that." And it's just them ignoring him after he just said, hey, uh, I told you not to play on it until I fix it. And we see even Ellen ignoring that, you know, not command. He's not, you know, ruling over his household with an iron fist, but just ignoring like, hey, this is a safety issue, (laughs) Um, which we see at large over basically the first half of the movie. That is so funny, and I've never, th- I've never thought about that before. But that is a really great observation, actually. Yeah, just it's what a a sign of things to come, which is Brody basically being like, "Don't do that thing. This is dangerous. Stay out of the water," and everyone just ignoring him anyway. That's I don't know how deliberate that was, but I think that's very clever. Part of me in in doing this podcast, I was like, oh. I'm not going to notice anything new. It will just be me kind of repeating the same old stuff or stuff that I've said already or thought of already. Um, but we're three episodes in and I think on every single episode, one of us or our guest has said something that we've been like, yeah, never noticed that before. 
<laughs> I do think that's the benefit of going through this movie so slowly is that we get to see a lot of the deliberate hope, potentially deliberate choices that, that go into it or um, the ones that kind of worked their way in there subconsciously, whether that was intended as foreshadowing or not, it kind of worked its way in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a, 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 a popular, I'm stalling cause I'm Googling. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> there's a popular anecdote about William Golding. I couldn't remember who wrote Lord of the Flies. Um, you know, Lord of the Flies is one of the most animated or animated analyzed, uh, pieces of, of, of literature in the, in the 20th century. Mm. And people have found all these allegorical meanings of the, the glasses and the conch shell and all this. But William Golding said in, in interviews, like I never intended most of the symbolism that's come through mm. uh, in this analysis, but also just because he didn't intend it doesn't mean it's not there or it wasn't on his mind at some point, whether he knew it or not, um, or that that kind of analysis is invalid because I think that I think, you know, the swing set ignoring the, the thing about the swing set is foreshadowing mm. whether it was intended or not yeah that's what i think that's one of the interesting things about foreshadowing is that is it just something that you pick up on later particularly when you look at a film so in depth or when when something happens and you then go back to a point prior to that you go oh that's that was clearly foreshadowing that or you know it does it kind of come out of that analysis and thinking about these things too much or is it intentional and i guess un unless you hear it from the filmmakers themselves you're never really gonna know the answer to that but i like to think that a lot of the foreshadowing in this film is intentional and i'll i'll save this for when we get to the the appropriate episodes but there are so many things i noticed in this film where it picks up on the most subtle things or it'll be something that is mentioned or said in the previous scene that won't seem significant and then in the you know the next scene that follows it or the next conversation it suddenly feels so significant and i think this scene what seems like a fairly innocuous scene to the casual viewer it's you know a conversation between him and his wife uh he takes a call and he goes off to work you describe it like that and it sounds like nothing of importance happens in this scene at all but yet we get their relationship established we find out what time of year it is we get this sense of Brody being the outsider which is incredibly important um and we get the foreshadowing of blood with Michael we get the foreshadowing of um distractions and things happening in the background trying to mask the real threat um and then we get this you know with the swings with them ignoring the instructions that Brody is telling them trying to keep them safe and that is I wasn't keeping track of how many things that was but that is a lot of things uh for just one you know two and a half three minute scene yeah I uh I told you off or before we started recording that my wife wanted to watch this scene with me just because mm. she one she's been working on a theme song for us so I think she's had jaws on the mind <laughs> and uh uh, two, I, she just, you know, has been interested in, in, in this because it's taken up a fair chunk of my Saturday at this point. <laughs> and she wanted to watch this scene with me. I don't even think she knew which scene it was, but after it ended, she said, wow, that a lot of stuff happens in that scene. And I, I mm -hmm. 
have never really realized how much and i think that's one of the best things about jaws is it's very uh efficient with its its runtime i think yeah. you know it, it it feels like it's a two and a half hour movie and it's only an hour and four or two hours and four minutes mm-hmm. and um it's just super cool to see and really dwell and think about all that happens in any given scene in this movie because you even as it really winds up or winds up winds down um ellen says to 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 martin to uh i'm gonna get i'm gonna botch the quote which is stupid because i just watched it but <laughs> she tells him to be safe and that he says something about like he doesn't need to worry about that in this town or whatever like he's still mm. being kind of nonchalant about it until he sees what happened to Chrissy or what's left of Chrissy, I should say. Yeah. Um, because he's, he is a New York cop. So yeah, it's weird. There's a dead body, but it's not unusual with the line of work he's chosen to be in and where he's come from. That's, mm-hmm. you know, he was probably dealing with that every day, even if he wasn't at work. Yeah. It does. It does feel like he is at that point in his life where he wants to settle somewhere where the pace of life is a bit, quieter a bit more relaxed and we don't really find out the circumstances of what brought him to amity but yeah like you said it might be that he's sort of heading for retirement or he just wants you know a slightly quieter life and it made me think of um uh, the film hot fuzz where he is Mm. uh the main policeman and that is kind of demoted to go and work in this small town having been you know the best policeman in in london and then he's sent to this kind of quiet sleepy village and you know the things he has to deal with is people like loitering and you know small like insignificant crimes like underage kids drinking in a pub and things that aren't you know threatening at all particularly given what he's dealt with and been stabbed and goodness knows what else and then obviously threat in that builds and is dealt with in a very comical way but um yeah it, it reminded me see i said it's a skill that i can somehow link any film back to jaws um <laughs> but it's kind of that when he said um i can't remember exactly what ellen said to him uh, like you but he's he sort of says like in this town and like he's really jovial about it and surprised and shocked that anything bad would happen you know where they are he's he's an outsider like we said but he's been there a a few months so i can imagine that this is the first like real you know potentially dangerous thing he's had to deal with and even at this stage all he knows is you know a body or something has washed up on the beach he doesn't know any more than that um so i think he's still not thinking that it is going to be anything too bad because like i said this is probably the first time he's had to deal with something like that where he is currently yeah do we have any, do you have anything else to go into on this scene or uh no i think we pretty much covered it it's it's a lot but it's all very readily available it's very accessible mm. uh scene and you you know i know we went and that's the point of the show is to go pretty deep into it. Mm. But what's great about it is that you understand that you under, I, I feel like you understand everything we talked about, even if you've never noticed it before ever. Yeah. Like the, the, the swing set thing. Mm. Um, and it, it just, it's so clear in its communication. And I think that's, you know, really great. 
Mm. It's also encouraged me that uh, for the future episodes, because when I was doing my breakdown, I was like, some of these scenes, I don't know if there's going to be as much to talk about. And on my list of scenes, this one did look like one of the more innocuous scenes. And I am very happy with everything that we've managed to, <laughs> <laughs> to find about this and learn new stuff as well. So, you know, it doesn't have to be this this big kind of action set piece or anything too dramatic it's sometimes it's just that looking at the and dissecting the more straightforward scenes or the ones that kind of on the surface seem to be more innocuous there's there's still so much to say about them and oh i mean we're gonna gush about jaws every single week and that's fine that's what the people are here for but this film i mean it's just the best isn't it (laughs) it's so great it's so great and I it's, love it so much. It's funny that uh, watching this scene, I really wanted to carry on watching. And every every week when we record and we watch just the scene that we're talking about, I really have to like drag myself away from watching it today to come and record. Because I was like, oh, I, know. I, I just want to watch the rest because this is when things really kick in and we start to we start to see things come together and the neck the scene that we'll talk about next week i think is going to be a really good one as well which is when they discover the body so looking forward to that um yeah i think that is everything um for today um yeah so do you want to do you want to tell everyone where they can find us on on social media and stuff before we get out of here yeah, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Jaws for a minute on on Twitter. That's the official show handle, and we have some uh, hashtags going. We have Jaws shirt Friday. Yeah, we do. Um, so <laughs> wear wear your Jaws shirt. This show comes out every Friday, so wear your Jaws shirt and um, hashtag it hashtag Jaws Jaws shirt Friday, and we will retweet them. And uh, uh, like you said on Twitter, uh, b- bonus points if you're listening to the pod as <laughs> as you're doing that. Um, you can find us personally on Twitter at Sarah Buttery and at MJ Smith 891. And then if you have any feedback, you can you can slide into our DMs on Twitter if you want. Um, but we also have an email, Jaws for a minute at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Jaws. Let us know what you think about the episode so far. Let us know if you have any feedback, any suggestions. Also, um, give us a rating and a review on your pod, your pod uh, listening uh, service of choice. That would be great if you could do that um we're you know on every major um podcatcher and podcasting app i think uh so whichever one you listen to on go and rate and review our show it's really going to help us out um you know i I don't think we'll ever be the top film podcast on (laughs) on any of those but it'll help get our, our visibility out there and if you like the show let people know um and i think are we still taking applications for guests there isn't an application process just hit us up (laughs) yeah come on it's 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 filling up um but we we do have some space i i try to when i was going through the the plan for each episode and the breakdown of the episode have sort of flagged the ones that i think would be good to have guests on for um but that's there's nothing to stop uh people coming on for other episodes in fact i've had some people that have said um i'll come on for any scene i don't mind and i at at time of recording anyway this might have changed by the by the time this episode comes out but there's still there's some great moments that haven't been claimed yet as as of yet the um the famous quote the you all know it you're gonna need a bigger boat that bit has not been claimed 
Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I know. There is. I think everyone was like, I'm not going to say that bit because everyone will pick that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, I think half of Quint's uh, Indianapolis speech is still available. A lot of the stuff towards the end of the film is available. Um, the great uh, shot of Brody on the beach when he sees the shark uh, attacking oh. Alex, one of the greatest uh, film shots of all time, that is available. Look, so many great moments and every moment of this film is great and worth talking about. So yeah, absolutely. Um, hit us up and uh, we'll see where we can where we can slot you in. But there is currently space. So people are welcome yep. to let us know. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, is, is that it? We... Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Remember, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. (laughs)